Open up your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. As you turn there, let's just do a little exercise together, shall we? Everyone take out your cell phones. And if you don't know how to mute it, then just shut it off. That would be helpful, um, just so we don't have any ringtones going off in the middle of service or alarms or anything like that. Perhaps you may not know what's going, going off, or maybe you don't know how to shut it off. Uh, we'll be glad to help you if you don't know how to do that. Let's turn our attention now to the Word of God this morning. Last week, we saw that Paul began to answer some questions that the Corinthians had on the matters of sex and marriage. We saw the purpose of the role of sexual intimacy in a marriage and how that's a good thing, despite some Corinthians seeing it as a bad thing. So Paul gave instructions to married couples on sexual intimacy. And today we will see in verses 10... I'm prepared through 16, but I doubt we'll get there. How he gives instructions now to married couples on the topic of divorce. And we're also going to look at the topic of remarriage. And there's a lot to say on this subject. And I don't even know if we're going to get as far as I intend today. And we'll see. And that's okay. We're going to take our time as it is such an important topic to consider. The topic of divorce and remarriage is one that is obviously difficult for some people to think about because many in our church are actually divorced and remarried. There's really four views when it comes to divorce and remarriage on how people think about them from a biblical or unbiblical perspective. The first view uh, held by some people is that divorce is never permitted and therefore remarriage is never permitted. Unless, of course, the spouse has died. Divorce, the second view would be divorce is sometimes permitted. But then those who hold that view would say, but remarriage is not permitted unless one of the spouses has died. And my view, which is this third view, my view and what I believe the Bible teaches and what we're going to explore today is I believe that the scriptures teach that divorce is sometimes permitted and therefore with the proper biblical exceptions that we will see and therefore remarriage is sometimes permitted. So sometimes divorce is okay because the scriptures give us guidelines for that and therefore sometimes remarriage is okay. And of course the fourth view is not a view that I hold or the scriptures teach at all, that divorce for any reason is permitted and therefore remarriage for any reason is permitted. And I don't think we can make that justification from the scriptures at all. And so again, what we're going to explore today is my view, which I believe the scriptures teach, is that divorce is sometimes permitted and remarriage is sometimes permitted. As I've already said, I know this is a difficult topic for some. And I pray that no matter what you hear today, that you will be encouraged in the end. There might be some of you in this room or watching online that might even be considering ending your marriage today. Or maybe your marriage is on the brink of collapse. I pray that you will find encouragement from the scriptures and knowing what God wants you to do. Some of you have been through some very painful relationships in your life 
or ugly divorces. And I pray that God would heal and restore your hearts as we begin to see what his word says. And this is what I love about preaching expository sermons, right? You, you, I don't get to pick what to preach on, right? It's just the next verse. And so, and, and it's an immensely practical as we look at these um, things in scriptures. And so we pray and know how to please and glorify God by what God has commanded. So no matter your, what your situation is, I pray that you will build a biblical foundation for your marriage and have health in your marriage. That's my goal for you. And also to encourage you no matter what your past history is on this subject. So let's go to verse 10 and see what Paul says in verse 10. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. The context here is, of course, the preceding verses. What Paul is saying, remember what he was saying in the beginning of this chapter, is he's addressing the statement that some Corinthians are making of what? It is good not to have sexual relations with a woman, even in a marriage. There were some who were choosing the celibate life. And because some of them had chosen the celibate lifestyle, even though they're married, they're saying, well, if one of the purposes of marriage is sex, then I guess we should get divorced because we're not going to have sex anymore. So one of the reasons that Paul makes this statement in the immediate context is to tell these celibate couples who have uh, made this vow now that divorce is not an option for you, and that is not honoring to God. This is why he says, to the married, I give this charge, and you cannot do this. And he says here something interesting, not I, but the Lord. What does Paul mean by that? Is Paul saying, well, this is what God wants you to say, but I have a different opinion on it. No. What he's saying is, I'm giving you the authority of the Lord's teaching, or the Lord has already taught extensively on this subject. If you have a problem with this, take it up with him. That's what Paul's saying. He's giving this charge and clarifying it that it's a command from the Lord. And the Lord has taught on divorce and remarriage. And I think we need to begin here in understanding the teaching of Jesus on this subject to bring context to this whole passage. I think that would be very helpful. Jesus spoke on divorce and remarriage in two particular places, Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 19. And if we look at Matthew chapter 19... And beginning with verse 3, we will see something that brings great clarity to the subject. You see, in Jesus' day, there were prevailing views on divorce and remarriage. Some of the rabbis of a certain persuasion were teaching the people that God allows men to divorce their wives for any reason. And the reason Jesus only mentions the men in this passage is because women in this first century world did not have the authority to divorce their husbands. As we all know, in that first century world, women were treated as property. They had no rights whatsoever. And so the reason only the men are addressed in this passage is because Jesus is dealing with the immediate cultural context, which says that only permitted the, the men to do that. And there were Pharisees that were doing that and saying such things. I'm losing my voice, excuse me. <laughs> um, 
Look at verse 3. They asked Jesus a question, and they had a very skewed view of divorce, obviously, and it's from a misinterpretation of Deuteronomy 24. Jesus, they asked Jesus in verse 3 of chapter 19, the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? See, they were asking Jesus, trying to test him, to trick him, to see what he would say on this subject. And when I say any cause, they really meant any cause. Men back then could divorce their wives if she burned his toast. Or if she wasn't as pretty as she was when they first got married. Or if supper wasn't ready at a certain time. Whatever, if he woke up one day and felt that he didn't want to be married anymore, he could just divorce her, toss her out anytime you want. That was the prevailing view amongst the Jews in this first century world. And the way Jesus answers brings great clarity to the, the answer that is about to be given. Thank you. Jesus responds in verse 4. Take a look at that with me. He answered them, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Here they're saying, can a, can, a, can a man divorce his wife for any reason, Jesus? And what does he do? He goes back to the beginning. Back to the beginning, why? Because it's God who invented marriage. It's God who has ordained marriage, and it's God who has the right to say how that marriage works and when it ends. Jesus says from the beginning, it is God who made the male and female. What is marriage? Marriage is a covenantal relationship made between one man and one woman. And the attention of that covenantal relationship of marriage is for life. He shall hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. There's, we've talked about that in the last couple of weeks as we talked about the purpose of sex that Paul addresses here. The purpose of a marriage is to become one unit, one um, entity, not two separate individuals living in the same household, but one person and because of this union that God has joined together, man should not separate it because it is God who brought them together. It is God who decides when the separation happens. So they asked Jesus in verse 7, look at that. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives but from the beginning, it was not so. Divorce is never supposed to be a part of the original design that God had in store for human relationships. It was never intended to be a part of the design, ever. It is an allowance that God has brought because of the sinfulness of our hearts. It is something that God has permitted in certain situations, because of sin. And sin is destructive. 
This is God's plan. One man, one woman for life. Now, where are they getting this from? Where did Moses say this? What they're getting from is Deuteronomy 24. Deuteronomy 24 is where they're quoting, well, Moses said that I could divorce my wife. Well, the question then is, are they misinterpreting Moses? And the answer is yes. Let's look at Deuteronomy 24 to see where they're getting this answer from. Deuteronomy 24, 1. When a man, this is what Moses writes, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house and so on and so on. Some had taken this view of Deuteronomy 24 to say that God allowed divorce for any reason because they read that verse and they stop where it says, if a man marries a wife and, has no fav- and she has no favor in his eyes. Well, there's a lot of reasons why your wife can lose favor in your eyes, right? If you're, she burns your toast, for example. But just keep on reading. It's not for any reason. That's not what the verse says. Why has the wife lost favor in the man's eyes? Because of some indecency in her. The word indecency in the Hebrew there means to expose oneself. It has the implications of adultery or marital unfaithfulness. They had misinterpreted what Moses said to give them permission to divorce for any reason. But what Moses is saying is if your wife commits adultery, then you can give her a certificate of divorce. Christmas is coming up very shortly. Well, let's just think of the Christmas story. Joseph and Mary are betrothed to be married. It's like the engagement period, but not the same. They have not consummated the marriage, right? They're promised to each other, but they haven't begun their marriage. They haven't consummated with sexual relations yet. And Joseph finds out what? Mary is pregnant. So what does he do? He sought to put her away privately. Why? Because it appeared that she had cheated on him that she had exposed herself to another person that she has not covenanted with. That is what Joseph was doing in accordance with Deuteronomy chapter 24, right? This um, losing favor, but of course we know the story. The angel comes and says, Mary's not been unfaithful to you. Uh, She is bearing, of course, the Lord Jesus within her. So there's a little context there. And so they're, they're looking at this and saying any reason, but actually it's if there's some indecency, some adultery, some unfaithfulness in her sexually. And this is why Jesus responds in verse 9 this way. And I say to you, let's go back to Matthew 19. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. This is what's known as the exception clause. And where does Jesus get it from? Deuteronomy chapter 24. Don't you love how the Lord answers their question with scripture? 
Do you think that the Lord was committed to the authority of the Bible? You better believe it. He answers their question with Scripture, like we ought to do as well. And so, the exception is this. Because of the pain and the breaking of the marital covenant that sexual unfaithfulness and adultery brings, it shatters that oneness that the one couple have with one another, there is a permission to do that. It's not a command. Just because your spouse cheats on you doesn't give you a command to divorce. There should always be reconciliation. There should always be a striving for restoration. Still, divorce should not be at the top of the list. It should be a last resort. Why? Because God's intention for marriage never included divorce. This is an exception and an allowance, but it should never be our default posture, even though it is painful, even though it shatters and breaks our heart to be wounded in that way. This is why we have the promise of the gospel to restore us. And that has happened many, many times when marital unfaithfulness has happened in a marriage. And we praise God for when that happens. But it's not always possible. Sin hurts, doesn't it? Sin has devastating consequences. And sometimes reconciliation is not possible. And this is where the exception is granted for the offended spouse, the one who's been cheated on, to move on. It does not give you the right to say, well, I want to divorce my wife, so let me go have an affair so that I can divorce her. No, it doesn't work like that. This is a protection for the offended, not an excuse for the one who wants to sin. Are we clear there? And so... Jesus answers their question with Scripture. Reconciliation, repentance, forgiveness should always be the goal, even in these difficult circumstances. We should exhaust all possibilities. And I, as a pastor, will never counsel a couple to divorce. Ever. In this situation. However, if an offended spouse has been sinned against in that way, I understand the path they choose to take when all options have been exhausted. God gave this law to protect women in these days of the Bible. Why? Because they were treated as property. Remember the, the Samaritan woman who had had five husbands? And the woman, man who she was with now is not even her husband? Yeah. A woman would have to get remarried just to survive. Because they couldn't work. They couldn't provide for themselves. They were basically dead without a man in their life providing and protecting for them. And so God gives these stipulations here. And perhaps that's what the Samaritan's woman issue was. The four men previously had just disposed of her for whatever reason and ignored her humanity. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And so there's this exception clause. But in verse 10, that's not what Paul's addressing. Look at verse 10. To the married, I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. 
The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. So what is Paul saying here to the Corinthians? Stay married. Stay married. Why? It's God's design. Apparently, there was, like I said, some wanting to get a divorce because they chose celibacy. No, stay married. Do not get divorced because of that. That's not a part of the exception clause. Paul is not addressing in this verse marital unfaithfulness. This, he doesn't even mention it. Was he, he's mentioning what? The immediate context of celibacy in the beginning of the chapter. Look at verse 11. But if she does, the wife does separate. If she does, and the... And the the implications here is leaving for a reason that is not permissible. Divorcing for, something, for a reason that has not been granted by the Lord is an exception. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Those are the options. So what if you leave? What if you get divorced and you don't have a biblical reason for it? Here's your two options. Remain unmarried or be reconciled to your spouse. Why? Because in God's eyes, when you have become one with another woman, when you become one with your spouse, in God's eyes, you are married, which is why Jesus says in Matthew 19, if you divorce your wife except for sexual immorality, you commit adultery. Why? Because in God's eyes, you're still married to that first person. So if you leave her for unbiblical reasons and then marry someone else, in God's eyes, she's still your wife. And so therefore, you commit adultery with your new spouse initially. And we'll talk about that more in a moment. And this is why Paul says remain unmarried. Why? Because if you don't, you will commit adultery or be reconciled to your spouse, which is always the preferred me method, of course, if possible. Marriage is seen to be held in high regard by God, and we do not have a license to abuse it. And so, are there other biblical grounds for remarriage, or is there other biblical grounds for divorce? And the answer to that is yes. We already saw adultery as one exception. And if you, one spouse has been cheated on, they are free to remarry and have it not be adultery. Why? Because God has given us this because of the hardness of our hearts. That marriage covenant has been violated, and now the offended party can move on. This is why it's so important to understand who you get married to. That's why when I, I will not do a wedding for a couple without, what, premarital counseling. And there's been some couples that I've said, I can't marry you. I can't marry you. You're not ready. You're going to get a divorce. You're not going to last. And people get mad at me and they get upset and whatever, whatever. And then the one time someone 
didn't listen to me. They got mad at me. They got married, found some preacher off the street who could marry them the next day, and they got divorced 30 days later. We need to be careful and hold marriage in such a high regard. Why? Because it is a sacred responsibility. And so, biblically, remarriage, I said in the beginning, is sometimes permissible. What do I mean by that? If there are biblical grounds for the divorce or your former spouse has died, which also ends the covenantal marriage relationship. What is the other reason? The other reason is, we're going to see it in a second. I'm jumping ahead. Before we get there, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, Dan, I'm divorced. I didn't have biblical reasons to do so. What do I do now? Because I'm remarried and my former spouse is still living. What do I do? When I got remarried, Dan, was it adultery in the eyes of God? And the answer to that question is exactly what Jesus says in Matthew 19, 9. And the answer to that is yes. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So I would submit to you, based on the teaching of Jesus, and here's my view, the initial physical union, the initial sexual relationship, yes, If there were no biblical grounds for the divorce and the remarriage, yes, the initial sexual union is adultery in the eyes of God. That's what Jesus says there. So, Dan, (laughs) we've been married now for 20, 30 years. Are we still committing adultery? And the answer is no. The initial union of that man and woman is adultery. But now that a new covenantal relationship has been established, you don't have permission to be with anyone else. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 24, the passage that they asked Jesus about, if you keep reading, the guy who divorces his wife and sends her away and she gets married to someone else, the guy, um, Deuteronomy 3 and 24, 3 and 4 say, that guy does not have permission to go remarry that lady, even though she, he was married to her to begin with. Why? Because now she's married to someone else, and if you do, that's adultery. So, what do we do, Dan? I didn't have biblical grounds for my divorce. I didn't have biblical grounds for my remarriage. What is the answer? Here's the answer. You ready? It's really difficult. Stay married to your new spouse. Repent of the sin of the divorce and adultery that began the marriage. And make sure that the mistakes that ended your first marriage are not repeated in your new marriage. Then glorify God, love your new spouse, enjoy the blessings of marriage and everything it has. Have lots of babies. Please, we need more babies in this church, okay? (laughs) But what if I can reconcile with my former spouse? No! You are now newly married to your new husband or your new wife. Stay married. Be faithful to them. Even though the initial physical union may have been considered adultery, according to what Jesus says in Matthew 19. 
Now you must glorify God. There's lots of evidence in the scriptures that we could point to that God sees even improper marriages as legitimate marriages later on. What does Jesus say to the woman at the well? You've had four husbands and the one you're with. You've had five husbands and the one you're with is not even your husband. Jesus still called them a husband. Legitimate marriages. There's lots of things we could point to there. So, I know that's painful for many to hear, but glorify God now. Repent. Give it to God. Enjoy your new relationship, for there is forgiveness for any and all sin. Well, Dan, is there something else besides adultery that is an exception that is permissible for divorce? And the answer is yes. And Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you look at verse 15... This is what Paul says. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. The second exception that the scriptures give us for a permissible divorce is abandonment by an unbeliever. So you're a believer and you're married to someone who's not a believer. And your unbelieving spouse says, I'm done with you. I'm out of here. I can't do this anymore. I'm out. What does Paul say? Let them go. If they're going to abandon you, you are not enslaved. They are ending the marriage. You are not. Stay faithful to that person. And if they want to go, let them go. Abandonment. This is what he says. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. What does that mean? They're freed from their bondage of marriage. God has called you to peace. And I take that to mean the abandonment by an unbelieving spouse is also grounds for the dissolution of marriage so that the person would not be enslaved. And I would argue, even though some disagree, that abandonment by an unbeliever is also permission to remarry because Paul says that that believer is no longer in bondage. And so sometimes divorce is permissible, sometimes remarriage is permissible. Here's two examples. One is adultery and the other one is abandonment. You're saying, well, my spouse who abandoned me was supposedly a believer. And this is where church discipline matters. And local church accountability matters because that should be brought to the elders to examine, hey, this guy who's running away from his wife and abandoning all his responsibilities, is that guy even a Christian? Is he going to be repenting of being a terrible husband and leaving his wife behind? And in that case, perhaps the church, through the issue of church discipline, which we saw in chapter 5, says this person is not even a believer anyway. And again, this is a, you can't do a blanket statement. You have to go case by case with each individual. And this is such a devastating thing to go through for anyone. But this is the second exception. An unbelieving spouse is not in bondage to that first marriage And they are free, in my mind, to, because they're not in bondage, to remarry. Biblical grounds for divorce does not include 
incompatibility. We just couldn't get along. That's not a biblical reason for divorce. This is why you shouldn't just marry anybody. This is why you must know the people and the person that you're marrying before you commit till death do us part. But they're not who I thought they were. You still entered into a sacred covenant with them. And you must pursue obedience to God in that relationship the best you can. Well, Dan, we just fell out of love. Well, let me tell you why you fell out of love. It's because you fell in love. Falling in love sounds very nice and sweet. It's very fairy booky. But it's not reality. I'm sorry. Happily ever after is not real. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. Because there's going to be moments in your marriage where you're not happily. Right? Some mornings you wake up and you're wondering, okay. (laughs) You know what a marriage is? It's two sinners coming together. And when you have two sinners coming together in any situation... There's going to be some amount of unhappiness that exists. Falling in love seems so romantic, but it's unrealistic. What is love? Love does not just involve feelings. It's much more than a feeling. It's a commitment. It's a decision. Love is a verb. It's sacrifice. It's action. It's a choice. That's what love is. Not just based on how you feel. If how you feel depends on how you're committed to the other person, then you're in big trouble. Because our emotions are a roller coaster. And couples get divorced all the time because they fell out of love. I would argue that when they say that they're in love, they're really not in love with one another. They're just in lust with one another. It's probably a more accurate depiction of many relationships and why they fall apart. So, you have sexual immorality as an exception. And I believe it is permissible to divorce your spouse if that is the case. Not the first option. Nor should it be the second option or the third option. A last resort option after there's no repentance, after there's there's no reconciliation. And I, I get it. I've been a pastor for 24 years and I've counseled many, 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 many couples through this. I've seen the pain on their faces. It's not easy. Secondly, abandonment by an unbeliever. And I, I, there's some that would make the case that even physical abuse abandons, is a part of the abandonment. And I think there's a great argument to be made there, even though the scriptures don't address that specifically. I believe if one spouse physically abuses their spa- the other spouse, they have abandoned their marital, covenantal relationship. And for the protection of the abused person, they should depart, at least for a season, at least separate, at least for their safety. There's some that would make that argument, and I I don't blame them at all. I would see abandonment being tied in with physical abuse as well. Those are two things that the Scriptures give us, abandonment and adultery. 
They give us the exception to the lifelong nature of marriage. And of course, there's a third one. And the third one, which is, doesn't involve divorce, but involves death. Because marriage is the uniting of two into one, God sees the two into one until death happens. This is why we say, till death do us part. It's just not something flowery we add to the vows at the ceremony. Till death do us part means something. We are acknowledging that, yes, I am making this promise to my spouse and before God today, and I'm promising to do this till death do us part. We even saw last week that, yes, if your spouse has died, you have full permission to remarry. Paul even said that to the widows. We saw that last week. He told the widows that they could remarry. It would be best if they would remain single, but if they can't remain sexually pure, then get married again, unless you burn with passion. There are no perfect marriages. Do I even need to say that? There are no perfect marriages. There are no perfect husbands. There are no perfect wives. Well, I'm sorry, I just messed that up. There is one perfect husband, and his name is Jesus. And there will one day be a perfect wife, and it's the church. And why is that? Because Christ never gives up on her. He is washing her, cleaning her, nurturing her, taking out every spot or wrinkle, lovingly laying down his life for his bride so that she might be presented with great joy to the Father. Even when she is faithless, and church, aren't we faithless? Even when she is difficult, even when she causes hurt, may we look to Christ as our example. And no matter how good or inept we are at this marriage thing, may we repent of sin where we need to repent of. May we be reconciled to one another. May you be committed to never go to bed angry. Doesn't mean you're going to agree before you're going to go to bed for the night. You get into a disagreement, you get into an argument, love each other enough to say, hey, we need to wake up in the morning and continue this conversation, but I love you, I'm not mad at you, we're not, it's going to be okay. May we recommit to the permanency of marriage. May we never look to divorce as option number one, but only and with great sorrow of heart when all possibilities have been exhausted, exercising the options that have, and exceptions that God has given to us because of the hardness of our hearts because of sin. May those who are divorced and are still single know true joy peace, love, and forgiveness from God, no matter what side of the divorce you are on. May those who are remarried, whether it be biblical or unbiblical, 
commit themselves to gospel-centered marriages as Christ is the greater husband, loving his wife and the church in submission to him. There is no sin in your marriage that can't be forgiven by God. And if our God has forgiven us of great things, then how can we not strive in all of our power and the authority of King Jesus to forgive our spouses when they have sinned against us? May those who are on the brink of divorce know healing and restoration. May they seek for help in their trouble now before it goes much longer. May they commit to stay married as they have vowed on their wedding day. It's not going to be easy. It's going to take a lot of work, a lot of maintenance, a lot of forgiveness, but it's possible. It is possible. This is why the gospel is the greatest picture of the marriage possible uh, ever. A husband laying down his wife, his life for the church. That's who Jesus is. May we truly know what it means to know Christ, to follow Christ, to obey Christ, whether we are married, divorced, remarried, single, widowed. 1 Corinthians 7 gives us much practical examples of this. And in the immediate context, he's talking about those who are trying to divorce for unbiblical reasons. And if you find yourself in that position, if you find yourself that that's a part of your story in the past, those are the two options that have been laid out. And Paul encourages them with. And this is going to be a common theme throughout 1 Corinthians 7 as we go into the next sermons from here on in the weeks ahead. He's going to keep saying the same point. Remain as you are. Stay as you are throughout the whole chapter to different kinds of people, to widows, to singles, to married, to, um, to, to even those who found themselves as bondservants in the first century. Remain as you are. Be content in the Lord. Seek your joy in Christ first and foremost. And, and I know, brothers and sisters, this is such a difficult topic. But I know that no matter what our stories are, whether we have made terrible decisions in the past or not. I know one thing. Our God is good. Our God wants us to live joy-filled lives. And no matter what you have gone through or what you have been through, whether your remarriage was biblical or unbiblical, and you look back and you say, boy, Thank God that God is sovereign because look at what God has done even through our stupidity. <laughs> right? God is good. God is good. Stay married. Stay married for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us wisdom as we navigate this difficult topic of divorce and remarriage. Lord, I know you've reunited many in this room who are remarried, and you've blessed their lives abundantly.
And I praise you, God, for that. God, I pray for our marriages in this room. I pray for marriages that are on the brink of disaster. I pray for God, for you to strengthen them, that there would be restoration, reconciliation because of the gospel, because we've been forgiven much, that we would strive for holiness one for another. God, that you would build us up and encourage us, that we would be a church full of healthy and joy-filled marriages, knowing the difficulties that come along the way, knowing the pain that sin brings. Help us, God, to find true hope and peace through the gospel. God, may we know that all of our sin, if we are in Christ, has been forgiven. No matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, no matter whether we're divorced or remarried or, or God, we're struggling in a marriage right now. I pray that repentance will be found where repentance needs to be found and strength and nurture will be held in high regard. And God, if you were to return today, oh, even so come, Lord Jesus, God, that you would find us faithful to our spouses, not just in deeds, but in heart. In true love and sacrifice and commitment, Oh, God, we praise you. We glorify you, God. Your word is a sharp two-edged sword, piercing even deep into our hearts. We pray that the, your word, like a surgeon's knife, will do what is required to heal us and to restore us. We love you, God, and we ask for you to be glorified now. In your name we pray, amen.